With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live. Giving you the in-depth analysis on all the big talking points from Ellen Road. Hello, everybody, and hello, Baron. I've not seen you in a while. How was the Spurs game? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, apologies to those that um, that follow our Facebook live videos. I was I was racing on the underground to try and get to King's Cross in time for my train because anybody that was there will know the trains out of London on Sunday night were not easy. So um, I do apologise for that. As I said to you, Connor, I think that was probably the first post match that I've not done in about three seasons. So people don't understand. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you say, I would have I would have begun with that point it was a it was a game of two halves I mean it's a, a massive cliche but it really was wasn't it I think anybody that watched the game will, will know by now you know four days after the match Leeds were brilliant first half I think we it was one of those games where it reminded me a little bit of Southampton where we went in and you saw the team sheet and you were kind of fearing the worst to be honest mm. Calvin was playing which was great but missing Rafinha missing Rodrigo along with Bamford Ailing and Click who you know we've all talked about for a lot and Shackleton of course still out and Whilst maybe Rafinha and Rodrigo were the only sort of um, new exclusions from the from the starting lineup, it, it's the way the bench is affected. And again, the bench is 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 the the clearest barometer for the condition of the squad and where we're at. And again, on Sunday, I think I think Joe um, Joe Donahue reflected upon this in one of his pieces is that you looked at the benches on the team sheet and it's just it's just absolutely terrifying. I mean, I just pull up the the team sheet here. I've got it, and um, you know, Spurs have got Matt Doherty. Davinson Sanchez, Joe Roden, Ryan Sessegnon, Delhi Ali, Tangi Ndombele, Brian Hill, and Stephen Bergwin all on the bench. It's just, it's just, and we had Furpo, Cresswell, Drame, McKinstry, McCarran, Jenkins, Roberts, and Greenwood. I mean, well, Baron, Baron, I think, I think there's going to be a lot of people turn round to you just, just from that segment that you've just said, and they'll turn round and say, yeah, but Baron, where, where, you know, we're Leeds United. It's, uh, it's how Marcelo Bielsa likes to do it, which is, which is granted. But even if you look at the clubs in and around us, you know, your Burnleys, uh, you know, Southampton or whatever, Norwich, they, they seem to have more experience, way more experience on the bench than we do. Yeah, I mean, I know we'll, we'll come on to Bielsa eventually, and we, we, we just heard from him this afternoon, actually, record, recording on Thursday afternoon, and, and Hinny gave quite a long answer on squad depth, and that that wasn't a particular dig at him. It's just it's just a state of play and trying to sum up exactly where the team was at on Sunday going into Antonio Conte's Tottenham Hotspur. You know, we're talking about a a, a perennial winner. You know, anywhere in Europe, Conte wins trophies, and. I think time may well tell that we we played them at a good time because so I think it is just a bit too soon for Conte to have got his identity across there. And I think if you heard the boos from the home fans, I mean, that was his first home league game and the fans were booing at half-time. And of course, they're booing the players, not the manager, because it's it's far too early for that. But it just summed up exactly how well Leeds have played without you know, Rafinha. And we've, we, we know how dependent we've become up, um, upon the Brazilian. But it was just brilliant. You know, Phillips was a was a beast when it came to, to dealing with Harry Kane, didn't give him a kick. This this system, I mean, Bielsa didn't quite see it as a back three, but I think I did. And I think a lot of the, the stats websites have kind of looked at average positions. And I think ultimately it was a 3-3-1-3 three, three, three with 
Urente, Phillips and Cooper as that back three. And it works so, so well in the first half. And so pleased for Jack Harrison and Daniel James linking up in the way they did. You know, Harrison with the kind of approach play that we've asked for it, asked from him every week this season, but absolutely toasted Emerson Royale before delivering a perfect ball. And it was a tap in for Dan James, but he had to be in the right place at the right time. And you've got to time that run well to both beat your man and to, and to meet the flight of the ball. And I think quite poetic in the way that those two are struggling a little bit this season to link up in that way in the absence of Rafinha and Rodrigo. Um, and second half, I just think the, the Leeds press faded a little bit. I, I'm not going to say they, they were exhausted, but I think there was a degree of, of fatigue there that the changes came in, of course, from Marcelo. And he, he tried to explain that he was trying to deal with the, the, the threat of Hoiberg and, and Winks, who had changed their roles a little bit in the in the second half. And it found some space by sitting off the Leeds press and Hoiberg had a lot more time in space, um, uh, trying to get away from Forshaw to dictate play. And ultimately, I think the class just showed um, with their team on paper, really. Yeah, there was obviously some decisions in that game when, you know, Calvin Phillips's position definitely changed, didn't it, in the second half and where he was maybe playing in, in sort of a quarterback role where he was absolutely excellent, keeping keeping Harry Kane out of the game, really. That changed in the second half. And I think there was a lot of discussion about the Stuart McKinstry substitution, Baron, when you're chasing a game against Tottenham Hotspur. And, and did uh, Marcelo Bielsa say today that uh, Crescencio Somerville was sort of available for selection but wasn't involved? Yeah, I think at the time we didn't really think much of McKinstry coming on for for Gellhart because I think I think by that point Joffy was 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 pretty tired. Bless him, he'd had a very very impressive full debut and he did not stop running all afternoon. Um, so yeah, uh, Somerville was was one of the unexplained absences. I think we we we'd known about everybody else that had been left out of the match day twenty, um, and then we looked at the bench and sort of after we'd got through the initial headlines, we worked out that Somerville wasn't there and um, he wasn't asked about it on Sunday. But today he said that he was available and uh, just simply didn't get picked. So you can read as that what you will. I mean, clearly we're not we're not party to what's going on in training. Evidently, it's not an injury. It's, it's something that Bielsa has seen in training behind closed doors. So I can't imagine Bielsa will give us much more than that. I think he knows where the boundaries are in terms of what's public and what's private. But I don't think any of us would would look at Liam McCarron or Stuart McKinstry and say that they're going to make a bigger impact than Christ or some of those. So, so clearly something is going on behind the scenes there, you would think. Yeah, and I guess that 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 follows on with the the same sort of point. There's a lot of fans talking about Lewis Bate as well, obviously not even within the with with the squad. And you thought with such a youthful squad, um, you know, we just discussed Christensio Somerville, which you've cleared up, but but even Lewis Bate, you you would have maybe at least expected to make mm. the bench, really. Yeah, well, Bate was there. Bate was with with was Archie Gray, uh, which I'm sure we can talk about as well. Archie Gray was was one of the big headlines of the day. 15 years old from the Gray Dynasty and already mm. being included in the travelling party, which is quite a big quite a big statement to be honest from Marcelo without without putting him in the firing line. So Lewis Bate was there in person, so I think you probably call him the 21st man. But yeah, I mean, just just looking at the, the bench here, Connor, you know, Jack Jenkins stands out as the obvious one on the bench. That's the Lewis Bate role, isn't it? You know, Jack Jenkins basically plays the same position as Lewis Bate. And I think, you know, most of us, again, we don't see training, but I think based on on their careers up to now and the way they've played for the 23s, I think most of us would probably say that Bate's ahead of Jenkins. So another odd decision from Marcelo, but I think in in the um, the limited questions we get with Marcelo asking about the merits of Jack Jenkins versus Lewis Bate doesn't quite get high enough up the agenda. <laughs> yeah, it's not one of your first questions, is it? Really? <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, the Archie Gray one was was quite staggering. What did you um, make of that as a Leeds fan? 
I was, do you know why I was really excited? Because my girlfriend actually teaches his younger brother, which oh, is... And, ap- and apparently he's pretty special as well. Yeah, very special. Yeah. Apparently he's so, a very good uh, footballer. So she was, she was texting me when, when Archie was in the side. So it was, it was kind of quite nice from that standpoint. But yeah, 15 years old. I mean, when I think Eddie made his debut when he was 15. I'm pretty sure he, he did. So I know Lorimer's got the record. I don't know if Eddie was, was 15 as well, but I think Lorimer was 15, wasn't he, when he, yeah, he broke the club think, record? I think he was a bit younger. Yeah, 15, 15, definitely. But yeah, that would have been pretty special if he'd have, if he'd have made it. But definitely the, there has been a, a huge theme this week from Leeds fans and questions this week, you know, with regards to squad depth, Baron. I mean, you saw that Spurs game, the, the first half was good. As I said, it was a, a tale of two halves. But did it did it almost highlight, even though Leeds did exceptionally well, you know, in that first half, did it did it almost really, really highlight Leeds' deficiencies in, in the Premier League this season? Yeah, I mean, Marcelo has discussed this at length today. You know, he's done a... I asked him about Tyler Roberts, actually, and whether, whether Roberts might actually... How did I phrase it? I said to him... Would you give it serious consideration if Tyler came to you in January and said, you know, I, I need to play more football, I need to get into the Wales squad for the World Cup, I'd like to go on loan or, or somewhere permanently in January? You know, Tyler's played in every Premier League game this year, but he started once and he saw Gelhart start ahead of him on Sunday. And I think up until a month ago, most of us would have assumed that Roberts would have started that game on Sunday. You know, if you've got no Rodrigo, no Bamford, Roberts is the de facto number nine, isn't he? So that was a statement and that's clearly where the pecking order is at. And I think a lot of us are happy with Gail Hart and, and probably wouldn't have disagreed with that decision. But for Tyler, looking at his own career and his own prospects, I thought it was worth asking the question. And, and the answer wasn't really about Tyler. Marcelo's clearly been stewing on this, this squad depth debate. Um, he, We know that he does have, if not everything, then the vast majority of Leeds content translated for him from from the local media and from the national media. So he'll know what we're all writing and saying about this issue. And, and, and he occasionally does sort of break cover and address these things head on. And he gave a lot of his reasons and explanations as, as to why. I mean, it's not new information. That's the thing. You know, we, we, we will all debate it, but we know why it is. You know, Bielsa said it from day one when he walked in in 2018. This is why he wants to run with a small squad. You don't have to agree with him, but that's why. And he, and he, he effectively just repeated himself, really, and said that, if we had run with, say, a squad of 25 established first-team professionals, then the likes of, I mean, again, I look at the team here and say the likes of Stroik, Gelhart, Cresswell, Drame, McKinstry, McCarran, uh, Sam Greenwood, those players would not have had anywhere near as many opportunities as, as they have done. And whilst we all enjoy seeing the youngsters make their debuts and get into the side, we have to understand that that's happening because... There aren't there aren't other players in their mid twenties that are looking for opportunities and, and blocking their pathway. So we can't have it both ways. So he's well aware of that, and you know he said he's not a fundamentalist. You know he's he's said many times. You know he's not the, the Messiah. You know he's not a demagogue. Um, you can look up the definition for that word. I can't recall it right now, but he says the word <laughs> demagogue quite a lot. But he, he's saying that he's not perfect. He's not saying that his way is the right way. It's just it's just the way he wants to do it and the way he he can relate to best you know he he examines all the decisions he makes you know we, we know how deep a thinker he is you know, think about think back to the spygate lecture and, and how the, the the depth of analysis he showed in that in that one hour that's that's how much he thinks about these things and he knows we're debating about it and, and i'm sure he questions himself and says am i doing the right thing here should i be asking for more players in january but he's given us his reasons and, and we have to make our peace with that yeah i guess it with regards to squad depth as well it it might 
point to you know the fact of, of Leeds losing a lot of leads this year. You know when we've been, I think we've been, I think we've led five out of twelve games where we, where we haven't got all three points. You know, one, ones include Norwich and Newcastle, and I guess you could point towards squad depth with that Baron, you know, not being able to change the games effectively, you know, in, in the sort of 60, 65th minute when you can see the other team coming on strong. I mean, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of talk around that as well this, this week. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think, as I said before, I think the substitutes bench is often the, the clearest barometer for where a squad is at. And I think even if, a first team lineup can be can be sort of patched together with a few options from the bench. You know, the likes of Click came in on Sunday. You know, I don't think he's anybody nobody was, was too disappointed to see Click start. He came in off the bench and was a pretty decent option. But it, it's the way it weakens the bench, and there's nobody sort of coming in behind the bench players. You know, if if you were to look at Leeds United's fully fit squad, yeah, you, you would say the likes of Shackleton and one of Harrison or James would be on the bench. Click might be on the bench now, but Forshaw's back. Robin Cock would be on the bench. Um, there's a lot of very, very good footballers that would be there at least offering that that decision for Bielsa at 60, 70 minutes. And because they're now having to start games, that, that squad depth isn't there to, to change things. So, yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think I think the the essence of a small squad that's stretched thinly, you know, the, the main problem with that is, is born out in the final half an hour of games where the opposition can change things up and leads very much can't. I mean... As much as we want to sort of give merit to the the efforts and performances of the likes of Tyler Roberts and, and Junior Furpo and, and even Stuart McKinstry come on late on, none of us are looking at those three and thinking they're going to change the game, are we? If we're being honest, no, no, definitely not. I, I would agree with that. So overall, I mean, when 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 you look at the game, obviously Leeds losing, nobody likes to lose. We need to be picking up points now. But were there aspects of it that you were, as I said at the start, infused by Baron? Were there mm. certain performances which which you thought to yourself, okay, we can build on that? Definitely, yeah. I mean, at half time, like I say, the Spurs fans were booing, and, and Leeds were rightly ahead, and and we obviously all hoped that they would push on in that second half and, and see the game out. So there was, I came away feeling a lot more infused than I thought I would. I mean, I know we're we're talking about a, another defeat and a second half um, disappointment, but I came away feeling really, really happy. I think Calvin again. I don't know. I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, but I think Calvin is always a victim of his own success and that he plays at such a high level all the time. But I think, I don't know, you, 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 like I say, give me your opinion, but I, I don't think he's been exceptional this year. I don't think he's been sort of at the top of his game across this season. I think Rafinha is by far our most important player. And Calvin is, like I say, always at a high level, but maybe he hasn't reached the sort of levels that we've come to expect maybe last season. So I think I was really pleased to see him right at it. I mean, in a slightly different role, basically following Harry Kane deep into midfield when he dropped deep for those quarterback passes for Spurs. He was brilliant um, throughout the game. Um, and Daniel James, I think, was somebody that, that, that deserves a bit of attention as well. He was probably the best he's been in the lead shirt. Obviously, he got the goal, which, as, as I say, was a tapping, but you could see, you know, the way he carried the ball, his first touch. Do you remember the, the outside of the boot shot at the start of the second half? Yeah. yeah. Harry Kane had just hit the Leeds post. And then Daniel James goes up the other side, cuts in off the right flank and, and curls one with the outside of his right boot. And Larice is scrambling to get that ball away. And that would have been 2-0 with a brace for him. Mm. So I was really pleased for him to see him play that well. For sure, again, it is playing like a Rolls-Royce. And I mean, I'm so, so excited to see, see how he's going to develop from here on in because he's only going to get fitter and sharper from here on out. So um, they, they were the performances that stood out for me. And Cooper was really solid as well. I know he gave away the free kick in the second half, which, which led to Reguillon's winner. But generally, a really solid performance from him as well. Yeah, um, interesting. You've you've not mentioned 
Pascal van Strauk. Um, Sorry, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, Pascal brilliant as well. <laughs> I mean, uh, get, Baron, can we just touch on this guy? Um, he's, I think he's he's steadily becoming up there with Rafinha, one of my favourite players. He just, sorry, mate, he just gets better and better and better. I can't, every single time I watch him, I just think, you know, you, you are one of the standouts. And I think that's proven dividends right now. I mean, another, I mean, the first half performance on, on Son, Son was completely out of the game. Pascal was superb. And yeah, I just wanted to wax lyrical about, about him for, for 20, 30 seconds, if we can. Yeah, I've done him a disservice. I didn't didn't intentionally leave him out. I was impressed <laughs> with him. Um, like you say, Connor, he just seems to seems to clear those hurdles, doesn't he? You know, he's been put into that left back role, which we were quite concerned about against Leicester. Played brilliantly there, and then played brilliantly again on Sunday. Um, I think Lucas Moura was on his side, wasn't he? Um, Son was was up against Llorente. So he, the way he's getting forward is what's impressing me because I think we all know he can do a defensive job at left back, but to get forward and link up and again, he he's the guy that fed the ball to Harrison before before Harrison's cross into James. Mm. Yeah. I mean, does that soften the blow of the squad depth for you? Because I think if, if if Leeds had a bigger squad, then Pascal wouldn't be anywhere near to the to the level of player he is now because he'd have had his way to the team blocks last season. Yeah, I guess it's quite a nice transition there because we're, we're obviously looking at a situation now where Junior Firpo is going to be back into the the fold. Um, so I don't know about you, Baron, but with with the likes of Pascal, I, I would love to see him consistently be playing at, at centre back personally. But if he's playing left back, that's that's also fantastic because he seems to be doing a, a really good job there. You know, you look at the two individuals that he's been really directly up against, Adamola Luckman. For Leicester and, and and you know Lucas Mora for for Tottenham Hotspur, I think he's done a really really good job. So with Junior Firpo coming back into the the, I mean you would expect him to be to to, to maybe start at the weekend ahead of Pascal and Cooper to start centre back and maybe Pascal to 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 miss out. I guess in terms of that sort of element, I mean that depth is brilliant because Pascal is I think he's a superb option. I think he should be starting, but. Are you sort of seeing it that way as well, Baron? Do you think maybe Cooper will start this weekend alongside Junior Firpo and maybe Pascal will drop out? I think I'm probably a bit more positive than you are in that case. I think Pascal will play. Um, I think a lot depends. I've been looking at Brighton's shape and I think, as Brighton fans will say, one of the, the frustrations with Graham Potter is that he does change his formation a lot and, he, and he's, mm. he, there's no real rhythm to, to the shape he puts out. And I think I can boil it down to basically a 3-5-2 or a 4-2-3-1, which as we know, entirely changes the way Leeds will set up. So Bielsa, a bit like the Leicester game, Bielsa's going to have to go into it with a bit of an open mind. And I think because of that, I think Stroke will start. Because if Brighton go in with two strikers as they did against Villa, then it'll be a back three. And then, of course, we know it's going to be Urense, Cooper and Stroke. And if they go with a 4-2-3-1, then it'll be a back four for Leeds. And I think Stroke's done more than well enough to start a left back and keep his place. And I think I know they lost against Spurs, but I think again there were there were as we have just talked about, you know, Stroik was was not a bad player in that game, and Bielsa doesn't like to change things unless he has to. And I think you know, Junior has played very very little football. You know, he's still not played for the twenty threes. You know that that sub appearance at, at Tottenham was was quite unusual, wasn't it? I think that that was another example of of how tight they are at the moment in that he basically had to play Furpo without any twenty threes minutes because of how how tight they were in terms of a squad size. So. Yeah, I think I think whether it's a back four or a back three, I think Stroke will start. Yeah, let's hope so. And I mean, even just in terms of the Brighton game, with centre backs being Shane Duffy, Lewis Dunk, and Adam Webster, I think. Yeah, not you only big guys, not, don't you? Yeah, not only for the technical aspects and and some in system base, but 
just the physical stature of, yeah. uh, of this lot from set piece. I, I, I remember the the last couple of games they did cause us a lot of problems from set pieces, and 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 maybe you just put Pascal in there for that reason as well. Yeah, another great example of why he'll probably play Pascal. I think, like you say, there's. By now, we know that the set pieces, that's not a myth. That is definitely something that the opposition teams will target against Leeds. And we know Brighton have got those three towers at the back. <laughs> and that's without even talking about Dan Byrne, who will be on the bench. And you know, he's yeah. the biggest of them all. So, yeah, another reason why you play Pascal, I think. Um, the Brighton games last season were horrible, weren't they? I mean, they were some of the sort of the dourest experiences of, of that first season back. Because both games, Leeds were, were terrible, home and away. Yeah, and I think it was interesting to see Graham Potter at the Spurs game uh, at the weekend yeah. because obviously he'll have he'll have seen both halves and and see you know where leads were were good and where leads were bad really and I feel he's too intelligent to not act on that as as a manager really and 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 you look at those two games last season, Baron. I think I think they were playing a three four three system and uh, Leeds struggled with that three four three system with a lot of teams last year. I think Wolves and West Ham might have might have played it as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's as you, as you've, you've you've summed it up really well. It was it was two really tough games, wasn't it? Yeah, both they, of them. They, they pressed Leeds high as well, didn't they? Yeah, they, Brighton was just one of those teams that had Leeds as number last year. You know, mm. we know it was a brilliant season for Leeds to finish ninth, and um, the vast majority—I mean, very very few teams actually did the double over Leeds. I think was it were West Ham and Brighton the only ones? You might be able to correct me on that. There was Wolves as well, wasn't there? Wolves as well, yeah. So I mean, and as you've said, you know, those teams playing those systems, they they just managed to do one on Leeds. And mm-hmm. of course, if anybody remembers, the, the Ellen Road game was where the pitch was at its worst. That was that was kind of the moment that everybody realised that they had to just bin that pitch completely. <laughs> and thankfully, it came just before a, a gap in the schedule to do that. Mm. But then at Brighton away, again, it was one of those games where we were missing a few players. Calvin wasn't playing. Alioski had one of his worst games at left back. Mm. And they were just turgid. It was We went all that way to Brighton and it was just one of those ones where they never even looked like scoring. It, for, um, for, me, for me, Baron, that's sort of up there with Southampton away, that yeah, performance. Yeah, a very, very good point. That, that That's the sort of level we're talking about for, for, for the listeners. That's how bad it was. Came away just thinking, that is abysmal. What are we doing? And then, ironically... Again, in typical Bielsa fashion, we then go and play Spurs at home the next week and beat them three-one uh, in one of the, <laughs> the best home performances of the season. So, Alioski yeah, was brilliant as well, and it, yeah, and Alioski <laughs> did a job on Gareth Bale. So, I mean, that that kind of says it all, really. Um, yeah, it's going to be really tough. I, 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 actually, you might have seen this in your research, but I, I didn't realise until yesterday that Brighton haven't won in seven games, which just amazes me. I mean, because. The narrative, as it is with Brentford, is that you know Brighton have had this brilliant start to the season. And yeah, the first five games, they were superb and they're still ninth in the table. Mm. But to not win in seven, I mean, and again, they've drawn five of those, but the point is they're not winning. Yeah. It's a great it's a great time to play them, I think. It's not gonna, like I say, it's not going to be easy. The Amex is going to be a difficult place to go to. Their fans are very, very good. Potter, as we said, tactically knows how to set a team up. Whether their players can execute it, we'll have to see. But he knows how to set up against Leeds. They've got some very positive experiences from last season. So it's not going to be easy, but I, I don't I don't fear going there at the moment. I think it's a good time to play them. And as patches Leeds have been, Leeds have got more points in their last seven games than Brighton have. Yeah, which is which is crazy, isn't it? When you look at a fourth, yeah, given that leads a fourth bottom, yeah, <laughs> it definitely is. But yeah, I, I I agree with you, Baron. I think I mean, we'll, we I, I do want to touch on the Christmas run a little bit because I don't think we yeah. have really. So I mean, these next three, just before we get into you know Bielsa's press conference and, and predictions and stuff like this, 
these next three are absolutely massive for Leeds United, aren't they? I mean, Brighton away, Brentford at home and Crystal Palace at home. You were just talking there about, about you mentioned Brentford as well. Leeds just simply have to pick up points here with with yeah. that with that with that run coming up in December which if the listeners obviously aren't aware it is uh, Manchester City away Chelsea away Liverpool away um, and Arsenal at home in no particular order so so Leeds just simply we can't go through this run yeah. with, with picking mega mega points up here and there really it has to be a substantial amount doesn't it no it's a really good point Connor because I think people we're not we're not be we're not sort of that 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 it, that is the reality. I mean, that is a, that is still a level-headed assessment of where things are at. We're, we're not we're not exaggerating. We, we're twelve games into the season now. Leeds are fourth bottom. By the end of December, we're going to be we're going to be halfway or in, into the second half of the season. And at that point, the lead table is the lead table, and there are no more excuses. There's no more sort of dressing it up. You've got these three games, and then, like you say, on paper, and we know Leeds don't play on paper. You look at look at the Etihad away last season. There is no better example of Leeds pulling something out of the hat than going to the Etihad with ten men and winning. So we're not we're not taking the, those miraculous results off the table. But on paper, like you say, you've got Brighton away, which we talked about. Good time to play Brighton. Tough place to go. Palace are in good form. That's not going to be easy. But Ellen Road is is the big defining factor. And again. Ellen Road for Brentford. That is the match they need to win, I think. Brentford are sliding. They've had a good start, but they are now discovering what the Premier League is all about. They are there for the taking at Ellen Road. I think that's the big match. From the next three, if you're looking at three points, that's the one I think they they have got the best chance of winning. But yeah, I think you're looking at four, five or six points from the next three, really, to just, just to kind of take the edge off. Because Chelsea away, three days later, City away, Four days later, Arsenal at home, and then eight days later to Boxing Day, Liverpool away. I mean, the listeners don't need to tell them how good Chelsea, City, and Liverpool are, and they're all away from home. I mean, that is going to be absolutely brutal. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I guess the differential as well this year, Baron, is it's probably the best Premier League we've ever seen. So it's you know at the, the start, you you arguably had four or five teams going for the title, you know, um, and, and you've arguably still got three of them going for for, for it now and, and, and we're facing them all so away from home. Yeah. So, yeah, so. It's just, I mean, we, we, we saw this coming pre-season, didn't we? Even before we knew how good those teams were, we're going to be in this edition of the league. You know, we saw the fixtures, sort of, December looks a bit choppy, doesn't it? Let's hope we're not in any trouble. So, yeah, I mean, the, the listeners don't need to address that up. You know, if, if, they, if they do not pick up four, five or six points in the next three, the table might not be might not be too pretty when when twenty twenty one ends. Yeah, is is that what you're thinking then? Sort of minimum, sort of four five. They they have to pick up then. Is that what you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't I can't say they need to pick pick up four points or they're going to go down. But I mean, I'm saying yeah. you look at those games and yeah, I think I think four five or six points is is perfectly reasonable. I'm sure you know, Marcelo, of course, would say nine, but. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Palace one is not going to be easy. Palace are in decent form. And, and as mm. I say, Brighton, being away at Brighton is a bit of a leveller. So I think if, if I was going to lay them out, I'd say, yeah, beat Brentford and then I'd take draws in the other two. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe, uh, maybe two wins and a loss from those three. I think that would be a very, very good return. Yeah, I was just thinking about how many of those games that we just mentioned, Marcelo would actually say that we're going to win. <laughs> it would be all of them, wouldn't it? All of them, yeah. Marcelo, <laughs> we are now going to go unbeaten for the rest of the season. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So, obviously, he had his press conference today, the great one. So, injury news, Baron, what do we know? Well, 
it's a touch better. I mean, thankfully, yeah. the club's social media this week has been very, very helpful for fans' uh, sanity. I think the videos of, of Cock, Bamford, Rafinha and Rodrigo have been received warmly. Um, obviously, no promises were given in those videos about where those players would be at. So I think we all knew that, that you can tell Cock and Bamford weren't with the main group in their video. And Bielsa has said today they are they are still recovering, if you like, so they will need a little bit longer. Ailing has at least taken a step forward. He has now been given a date for the 23s. So he... I, 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 Bielsa didn't say this explicitly, but I think the inference is that Ailing won't be at Brighton, but he will be with the 23s on Monday away at Man City, which would be a good test for him. And I'm sure he'll get half an hour or maybe even a half there. And that will then slowly build build up into some games for him. And we've already talked about it, but I suppose if you're looking at Brighton and Palace, then I don't know, maybe Brentford could be a decent target for, for Ailing, perhaps after he's had some 23s games. And of course, that then goes into that brutal December run. So Ailing is a step forward, which is great news. Um, Rafinha had already told uh, the BBC on Wednesday that he was recovered from his illness. And of course, the, the training video did show that he was back. So no problems with Rafinha, which, as we all know, is, is absolutely massive for Leeds. And Rodrigo, you know, a man who isn't without his critics. But I think we looked, if you think about how, how you felt seeing his name not being on the team sheet at Spurs, it tells you how important he is and and how he does have quality, even if people can get frustrated with him. He is a very, very good footballer. And he will be available for Brighton as well, which is which is great news. And Shackleton's healthy, which, as I've already said, will bol- will bolster the bench at the very least. Yeah, definitely. Would you like to sort of see a bit of a combination of Rodrigo and Gelhart? <laughs> it's a good it's a good question. Yeah, we've not talked about Joffy too much. Um, we've talked about the shape, haven't we? Already with 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 what um, Brighton will do. Um, if it's a straight shootout and he wants to play the one striker, then I think it's I think it would be Rodrigo. I think we'll, we'll pull rank. I think we've if, if you think about the way Bielsa talks about Charlie Cresswell after his debut, he said mm. that he doesn't really like the youngsters to have too much expectation or pressure too soon. I think he'd rather the experienced players kind of take the edge off. But you know, as we know, Rodrigo can play in that slightly more withdrawn role, which I think is what you're getting at. So if you're asking me, would I rather see Rodrigo and Dan James through the middle or Rodrigo and Gelhart, then then definitely the latter. I think I would, mm. I would much rather see James and Harrison stay out wide and we have Rodrigo playing off Gelhart if the if the shape allows. Yeah, definitely. I think it was uh it's fascinating as well as uh, fascinating as well from what we've seen. It normally turns into Rodrigo dropping deep, doesn't it? And Dan James sort of occupying. Yeah, it's not role, worked, has really. it? I don't know how you feel about it, but I just I've, I've not liked Dan James as a striker at all, to be honest. I wonder if he has. <laughs> I don't think Dan <laughs> James enjoyed it either. <laughs> Yeah, it's, with this one, you, you almost see see with Brighton, we've got to play through them, in and around them, because, the, I mean, the ball can't be whipped out wide and then, you know, Harrison crossing it into the box and and and, and Dan James doing the exact same thing. We've got to really work around yeah. Brighton. Brighton, we, will, Brighton will love it if there's crosses coming in. I, mean, oh, yeah. I think from, from memory, I think when they got ahead in the games last season, they, they quite enjoyed playing defensive and... Mm. You know, Dunk Webster and and whoever else plays at the back, Duffy or or Dan Byrne, they're just, it's just they're going to beat Rodrigo you, and Gellhart in the air every time, aren't they? You just know they they absolutely love heading oh. the ball. Every oh, single yeah. one of them <laughs> loves heading the ball, don't they? They're, they have they do ten headers in their kitchen with breakfast every morning. <laughs> give it to me. Go on, throw the ball. Give it to me. Yeah, it's not penalties at the end of the session, is it? It's just headers, just <laughs> constant heading, just heading the ball. Yeah, crossbar <laughs> challenge with their head. <laughs> Um, so rearing its ugly head again, we're going to have to touch on it. Obviously we, we spoke about squad depth there, Baron. Once again, there's been a consistent theme questions on Twitter, everything this week about January. Um, 
really direct question. Would you like to see Leeds United do something in January? Yeah, do you reckon they can still get Conor Gallagher off Palace? <laughs> <laughs> I keep, uh, I keep, I keep. How good has he been, by the way? I, well, I keep player, remembering. He is. I keep remembering he's coming to Ellen Road really soon. And I how don't good would he have been? Oh. Like, you see the way he, like, he would have been so good in this system. He's, he's just his, his pressing and his his intensity. His engine, as well. It's relentless. Like you yeah. see when you watch. I mean, I only watch Palace on the highlights, or when I see him on match of the day. And, Every attack in like the 88th minute, at the very last minute, you've got Gal- yeah, Gallagher sort of trotting into view on the edge of the box, <laughs> ready to, to tap one home. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'd like to see a body. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've worded the question for me. And yeah, I, I would, I would like to see a body or two. I think as much faith as I have in Bielsa and, and this, this group of players, if they're still in the bottom five going into January, then yeah, they need to act, I think. Um, I, I also understand, though, that what's the point in them getting a player in if Bielsa is not going to use them? I mean, what's mm. the point if, let's say, it's going to be late January because the selling club or the loaning club wants to hold on to their player until the last minute? And it's, I mean, I think most January deals are done quite late, aren't they? Because it's mm. such a horrible month to do business and it's so last minute. So if you say in January 31st, they're going to need six weeks of, of 23s in training to even get to a level where Bielsa's content to play them. And so by that point, what is mid-March and you've got what less than two months of the season for that player to actually make an impact. I mean, I completely understand why they don't want to do it or why it doesn't make sense for them. I, I get it completely. So they've got to, they've got to strike a balance somehow. They've got to find a player that Bielsa likes, that, that the, the hierarchy likes, and that has the ability to hit the ground running and may not need as much time on the training field. So it's a tough, tough ask. I mean, the, the way Dan James has settled in is a good example. You know, he had to play maybe sooner than Bielsa might have wanted him to, but he is, he, he I think he was starting games within sort of a week or two, wasn't yeah. he, of, of, yeah. of actually arriving. So it, it's proved that it can happen. And, there are definitely some positions on the pitch where Bielsa feels more willing to play players sooner. I think he said that um, maybe goalkeepers and wingers come to mind. I'd need to check it, but I'm sure he said that, that wingers don't need as much time sort of um, familiarising themselves as other mm. positions do. So, but yeah, in short, I would like to see a body or two, definitely. I think he mentioned as well, and we put it out on our on our Twitter as well, uh, on Leeds Live Twitter, that he, he said that, you know, if, if if Leeds, obviously I'm paraphrasing here, but if Leeds are to bring somebody in, they have to be a better quality than what we've got yeah. right now. And and that's interesting because I think he's, he quoted 20 to 30 million as mm. well, being that being that expected asking price. But I guess in the current market, it does 20 that, million that, almost. That, that does make sense, doesn't it? I mean, if yeah. you look at the players they brought in, you know, Rafinha we know was, was underpriced at 17 million. Rodrigo was... High twenties, Dan James was mid twenties. Mm. Cock and Yorente were in the teens. He's absolutely right. You know, if if you want to get a player that actually is better than the strongest eleven, you've got to pay you know twenty, thirty million pounds, which is absolutely accurate. And as ever, Bielsa is sort of giving his honest view on that. And we're of course looking at the loan market and thinking that that might be a way around that kind of valuation. Um, it's frustrating because we we can all see that that we that we feel that they're a body or two needs to come in, but we can, I, I can also see the arguments why they're not going to do it or they won't do it. Mm, mm, interesting, isn't it? All fascinating stuff. So, yeah, I mean, we we, we saw on, on Twitter, I wanted to bring this up at the end as well. We've discussed it off air and we put it out once again on our socials yesterday that um, Harlan's been talking up Leeds, hasn't he? 
<laughs> well josh king has yeah. well what we understand is that uh you know it's it's one of those things where i think ben foster on his cycling gk youtube video was speaking to josh king and um ben foster was saying you know if if is, is Haaland going to be coming to the Premier League soon? And then just Josh King out of nowhere just went, yeah, he just really likes Leeds or something, something on the likes of that. So yeah, it's uh, it's just great to hear Haaland mentioning Leeds again. And we're just it's just it's just clarity that he's not a Manchester City fan, which which makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, we were saying off air. I think when he when he first sort of was was putting defenses to the sword in Norway with Mulder as a teenager, we we of course began to pick up quotes and things, and we we saw the association with Alfie and the fact he was born in Leeds, and we we found quotes and things. He was saying that I mean, I, I admittedly he was saying this when he was quite young, and he was saying that his dream is to win the Premier League with Leeds. You know, as any <laughs> Leeds fan in their teenage years would say, you know, that, that's the dream. I want to win the Prem with Leeds. And then as he's gotten older and become more advised and, and mature with his with his interviews, he, I think he sort of refuted that kind of thing. And when I think he was actually asked directly at one point, you know, you, you've said this is your dream. Is that true? And he said, oh, no, no, I just said it. You know, I, I like Man City as well. And But it's nice how th- there is now a growing body of evidence to show that, that he is a Leeds fan. Yeah, we, we saw him in his dad's old shorts, didn't we, in the car um, when he was signing autographs with Dortmund. We know he went. To, he went to Stuart Dallas and said marching on together in his ear. He went to Stuart Dallas and said that. Asked for Stuart Dallas's shirt. Um, Jim Ross surprised he looked Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> Dallas has just been absolutely, uh, absolutely done in by by Norway, and um, and he's like, yeah, I'm just clearly so deflated that he's lost the game, and then he's like, oh, um, yeah, 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 you can have it, mate. I'm absolutely exhausted. Yeah, you can have my shirt. Um, and then uh, Hayden Evans, of course, recently said on on the Phil Hay show that, um, uh, that Harland had been up to Thorpe Arch and spoken to Christiansen, and that ultimately that was down to the fact that he was a Leeds fan and they were they were open to the, the possibility of coming to Leeds. And then Josh King, Norway teammate, clearly a, somebody who has spoken to to Harland regularly in private, and um, he comes out on Ben Foster's YouTube channel and says that he loves Leeds. So <laughs> I think. We're, I think we're all now very, very aware of the fact that he's not going to play for Leeds anytime soon unless Leeds somehow become super rich or um, or propel themselves to the Champions League very, very quickly. Um, did, they maybe we could... op- did they ever have the option when he was at Mulder? Well, I think I think Hayden Evans had, had said on the podcast last week that ultimately I think it boiled down to price, and I think that Leeds probably could have got the deal done for about four million. Oh, and I God. think I think. <laughs> And I, know, and I know right now that sounds like such a no-brainer, but at that point, yeah. Leeds were, this was before Bielsa, Leeds were very much a, a middling championship team and £4 million pounds was not easy to come by in a, in a league where you know, Radrazani was losing a lot of money just to keep the club competitive in that division. So I know now it seems like a no-brainer, but at the time, <laughs> Leeds just didn't have that um, stability to kind of go and do that. And I think in the end, from what from what Hayden said on, on the podcast at Salzburg, in the end, paid a lot more than that. Mm. So we might have to make make do with with maybe Harlan in his mid thirties when he's when he's retiring. <laughs> I'll take that to be honest. Absolutely, yeah. I don't care where we are. I'll take that. So yeah, let's end on this, mate. Uh, obviously, Leeds coming up against Brighton at the Amex this weekend. Huge game, as always. I'm going to ask for your prediction. Well, I I was asked this by uh, by a Brighton reporter yesterday for a piece he was doing, and I went one one. But I'm feeling a bit more positive now. I've heard the injury news and I've looked at Brighton's record, so. I think they are going to be tough to break down, Brighton. And I think what was, Leeds... um, what, Berem, what was Southampton's record before we played them? <laughs> I 
don't know. You tell me. I've, I've, I've burnt Southampton from my memory after that game. <laughs> we'll um, leave it at that. <laughs> my my head says one one, but my heart says two one leads. Okay, great stuff. Well, I'm gonna go three two leads. Oh, yeah. What a game! That'd be worth a journey. I'll take that. <laughs> oh God, yeah, you've got you've got the journey, haven't you? The journey. It's a long one, yeah. I'm making a weekend of it, seeing some friends. So it's um, it takes a sting out of it a little bit, but it's a long old way going down the M25. Yeah, is it is it is it worse than the Norwich trip? I think it's further, um, mm. but I think it's a bit more motorway. But yeah, <laughs> there's, there's not much in it. I mean, Southampton was pretty bad. Yeah, good stuff. Well, Baron, thank you so much for joining, mate. I really appreciate it. And of course, everybody, thank you for joining. We'll be back after the Brighton game with your post-pod and also a bonus episode next week. Make sure you stay tuned. See you later.